0: Should we pray So we just come and look at God's word together? Lord God, we just ask that you would just speak to us this morning as we look at our next, um, next sermon, the series on Daniel. Father, we pray that as we look at chapter 5 particularly, that you would just open our hearts. That Father, whether we're sure what we believe or not, that the message, Lord, about pride and Belshazzar and Daniel and what they did, Father God, will just impact our lives. Lord, we live in a world that is so often different to the way you created it. And we want to be people, Lord, that actually live correctly. So, Lord, challenge us this morning, but also encourage us that there is a good way to live. There is a right way to live. And I pray that we would have the courage to live it. And so speak to us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a pond, obviously. And in that pond were two ducks. And a frog. I should have said, Are you sitting comfortably? Are you sitting comfortably? Probably not, you're on pews. Um, The only reason I became a minister is so I could stand up during the sermon and not have to sit down during it on on a horrible wooden pew, so I can only apologise. So there were two ducks and a frog that lived in a pond together. They were the best of friends. They played happily together for hours and hours and hours all through the summer and winter. And then one particular summertime, Uh, It got very hot. It was a British heat wave, if you know what I mean. And so they were miserable as sin as well as hot. The pond they began to play in began to dry up. And this pond got smaller and smaller and smaller. And they soon realized that they would have to move and find another pond. For those of you that don't know much about frogs, they can't fly. Okay. That sounded like it was news to some of you. Uh, Ducks can fly. Yeah, anyway. Okay. So... They had a conversation, and they thought, well, how earth are all three of us going to get to the next pond if one of us can't fly? Then somebody had the good idea they would get a lolly stick they found, put it between each of the beaks of the two ducks, and the frog would hang on with his teeth and fly them there. Well, they all thought that was a good idea. Obviously, it is a good idea. And there they did it. They held the lolly stick between their teeth. The frog hung on for dear life, and off they flew across the field, Towards the next pond they could see. And as they flew across the field, they flew over the farmer. And the farmer looked up and he said, Wow, what a good idea. Who on earth thought of that? And the frog said, I did! There we are. I have permission from whoever owns Kermit the Frog to use that picture. They say that pride comes before a fall. There we are. Um, Today we're going to continue. Thank you. Uh, today we're going to continue through our book of Daniel. Book of Daniel, uh, one of the last four ma- major prophets, as they're called in the Old Testament, um, is a book that just covers tons of stuff. It's an amazing book. We're not going to get through it in the way you probably want me to because there's too much, and there's too short a, a gap between now and the summer. But we're looking under the sort of big title of being faithful to God in an ungodly culture. And actually, what we see in chapter five. Um, of Daniel. Um, We're moving on from chapters 2, 3, and 4 we covered last week. But this week we're seeing about the destruction that pride can cause in our lives if it takes hold of us. And so we're looking these first couple of weeks at three kings. There are three kings that Daniel is involved with. You've got King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar this week, and next week King Darius. And uh, he manages to exist across the reigns of these three very powerful men and yet outlast them all. We'll come on to that at the very end. And the second king he's involved with is King Belshazzar. Um, If you've got Daniel chapter 5 open in front of you, if you've got a Bible, that would be brilliant. It's good to have it. I'm not going to read it all. It's quite a long chapter. Um, But in this chapter, what's really interesting is that Daniel doesn't actually feature very much at all. He features heavily in those three chapters we looked at last week. Um, But this chapter, with this king who's just a bit a bit unhinged frankly in his own special way Um, very arrogant very proud Daniel really only features for a very small amount of time and the message of chapter 5 of Daniel if you've got it in front of you is that actually the message is that God opposes the pride and he opposes the pride of King Belshazzar Chapter 5 of Daniel serves as a really huge reminder and warning against the danger of pride in our lives. You haven't got, just got to worry about William Bray hitting you over the head with a cushion. Um, there's lots of other dangers of pride, which we're going to come on to in a minute. We need to be, as Christians, um, actually people who are humble in our culture and society. How do we live and um, be faithful to God in a culture that is ungodly? Well, we have to be humble. Last week it was about standing firm. This week it's about being humble and having humility. In the American Civil War, uh, the Union General John Sedgwick decided that he would inspect his troops. As he walked and stopped at a parapet, he gazed at the direction of the army in full view. Since the army could see him, uh, the officers on his side warned him that he ought to duck out of harm's way in case he got shot. John replied, Nonsense. They couldn't hear an elephant at this distance. It's a similar joke. Okay. Is that bad? Did not tell it right? <laughs> Pride is one of the biggest dangers to the human heart. Um, a few verses. You're going to have to forgive me. I didn't have time to fill my Bible with post-it notes. But Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom. Or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. Proverbs chapter sixteen. Hang on. Verse 18. And I'll tell you what, they're going to appear behind me. I'm just going to read them off the screen. We'll be here all day otherwise. It says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. So who is this second king, this King Belshazzar? He's referred to as Nebuchadnezzar's son. But more likely, he's simply second in line after Nebuchadnezzar has been king. Now that term, father and son, if you're interested, isn't always literally father and son. It's probably more about succession. So he's come after King Nebuchadnezzar. He's gone, he's finished, and now he actually is reigning in Babylon. We talked about where Babylon is in Iraq, modern-day Iraq. And uh, many say that he had a dad of his own, a guy called hang on, Nabonidas. You're not going to correct me, are you? I shouldn't think. Now, Bonnie Duss would do that. sounds about right, doesn't it? So he had a dad, and uh, he was his son. He was reigning in Babylon after King Nebuchadnezzar, who we spoke of last week. We are a few years after the end of King Nebuchadnezzar's rule, and things aren't working out well for the Babylonians. The Babylonians were a big empire. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had that vision of that statue, that gold head being the, ne- the Babylonian empire, and then you've got the silver arms and chest being the next kingdom that will come after them. And what's been happening since the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 is that another empire has begun to slowly grow in the region, the Persians, under a new king, King Darius. So King Belshazzar, the next who came after Nebuchadnezzar, is in the city of Babylon. He's not in the, uh, anywhere else. He's in the city, and he's looking after the city while his dad, the guy I just mentioned, is off fighting a war somewhere else. So he's king of Babylon in place of his dad who's off fighting a war. His only job is to look after the city of Babylon as this Persian empire is growing all around him. Last week, we talked about how only a few people have enough humility to handle real power. Well, Belshazzar is not one of those people. As he sits in his uh, city, he throws a lavish party, verse 1, and he invites a 1,000 people um, I'm sure my next birthday party won't get quite that many, Um, but he invites a thousand people to his party. Can you imagine how many come? They all come, and like most parties, they come and they open the wine, and as they open the wine, they begin to get drunk, and as they get drunk, King Belshazzar makes a terrible, terrible decision. He gets drunk, and he orders in um, the goblets and the cups that have come from the, the temple of God in Jerusalem Nebuchadnezzar has raided Jerusalem taken uh, God's city and God's temple and he'd taken the silver and the gold gold cups that were used only for the worship of the one true God and he brings it back and they get drunk and they use these goblets not for worship but for drunkenness but what makes it worse is as they do that they begin to praise false gods the gods of gold and silver And it's a real sobering reminder, if you pardon the pun, of the dangers of drink. That actually we're becoming a nation of drinkers, aren't we, in the West? We all have probably far too much, but we all know, don't we, that when you drink, you make bad choices. And when you make bad choices, you feel guilty. And when you feel guilty, some people then drink to forget those bad choices. And they do it all over and over again. And this morning, I know it's a sensitive issue, so please forgive me. But if you struggle with it, um, it needn't control you and there needn't be any judgment actually and if you want to speak to any of us in this church in the leadership team or someone you trust I promise not to judge you if it has a hold on your life in fact we promise to help and do our best to love you and support you through that so Jesus said he came to give life that we might have it to the full and that's what he wants for every single one of us. So in verse 2, we read, as the wine flowed in Daniel chapter 5, I'll read the first couple of verses. It says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While King Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And so they get drunk and they make this terrible choice and it tells the full extent of pride in his life that he doesn't care what he does with the things of God. And this moment of arrogance is where everything falls apart. And this is what pride does, we're going to discover now. What pride does is pride sets a person against God. These goblets were for use only in the temple of God to worship the one true God. But now they're being used for drunkenness and to worship false gods. And what happens afterwards is God now moves in the most dramatic way. He says, verse 5, Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand of the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking together. He was so terrified, he's literally going to pass out. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. Hang on. It says, The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud, And the lofty, and for all that is exalted, and they will be humble. The Bible promises that God hates arrogance and pride. Proverbs 16 verse 5 also says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. The funny thing in the Bible is that it's really strong about pride. Uh, God does not hold back when he talks about pride in people's hearts. Humility, conversely, is completely uh, lavished the blessings of God on it. Somebody once said that God pickles the proud and preserves the humble. So what's wrong with being pride, uh, proud? What's wrong with uh, having proud, pride in your heart? Well, Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 gives us a fairly big hint as to why it's a big problem. Verses 12 and 14 says, "You have fallen from heaven, O morning star of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who were once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High." Do you know who that's about? The devil. The reason pride is such a terrible sin is because it was the first sin the devil committed, wanting to be above where God sits. Pride elevates self and pits the human heart against God. Another quote I read this week says, Man is never more like the devil when he or she is full of self. Think about that next time you might say to somebody, I'm just that good second thing pride does is it gives you a false reality Uh, a young woman went to see her minister to discuss a sin that she'd been struggling with she said pastor I've become aware of a sin in my life which I cannot control every time I'm at church I begin to look around at the other women and I realize that I am the prettiest of the whole congregation none of them can compare to my beauty what am I going to do with this sin The pastor replied, Mary, what you're describing isn't a sin. No, Mary replied. He said, no, it's not a sin, it's a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) You see, pride lifts you up and says, I, me, I'm the best. I'm the top of the tree. She was under the false illusion that she was the prettiest because she was full of self. Has it ever struck you when you've read Daniel chapter 5 how it is, that the Bab- that Persians took over the Babylonian city and uh, empire, just like that. The end of the very same day, um, having uh, interpreted these words on the wall, Daniel says, um, sorry, the inscription of the wall. Sorry, he asked Daniel, what does it mean? Daniel comes in, and there are these four words that are written on the wall. Says, he says, these are what these words mean. Menin, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel is clothed in purple, a gold chain placed round his neck, and he's proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Has it ever occurred to you, why is it that in one evening the Persians take over? Let me tell you why that is. It's because actually what happened is the Babylonians already lost two or three big battles with the Persians and they had retreated into their capital city which had big walls and big rivers all around it. They were under the impression that they could hide in their city for 20 years. In fact, they stockpiled 20 years worth of food. How arrogant is this man? that he He's got his enemies surrounding his capital city, yet he still throws a party. He still gets drunk and he still acts arrogantly against the king of kings. When the enemy has it surrounded, he still has a party. Isn't that what pride does? Proverbs 18 verse 12 says this, Next week, I have lots of uh, post it notes in my. There we are. Before his yeah, downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honour. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Think about that. He's so arrogant, he's so full of pride that he just thinks it won't happen to him. They're never coming in. We've got 20 years worth of food, we'll be all right. How foolish. Of him. I wonder how often we make the same mistake. It won't ever happen to me. I'm just too good. Not me. And the third thing pride does is it ensures your destruction. Proverbs 21 verse 4 says this. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp, sorry, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. So arrogant eyes and a proud heart See sin. Proverbs 26 verse 12 Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And in Proverbs 10, verse 4, Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. What's interesting about chapters 4 and 5 uh, is they're both telling essentially the same story. Last week we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar, how he became arrogant and God took his whole kingdom away after seven years of wandering in the wilderness with the animals. He comes back and he gets his entire kingdom back. Whereas in this story, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, King Belshazzar is killed and his entire empire is taken away, never to be replaced. What is the difference? The difference is their response to God. Nebuchadnezzar, after being humbled by God, praises God's name. Belshazzar at the end of chapter 5 what does he do having heard your kingdom is going to be divided and given to the Medes and Persians he clothes Daniel in purple he gives Daniel a gold chain he places it around his neck his response is to try and buy his way out of trouble because he still thinks money will buy him success how often does pride come before our downfall. How often do we get it wrong? If that'd be me, if I'd seen an angelic finger right on the wall, your days are numbered, that's where we get the phrase, writing's on the wall. If the writing was on the wall for me, you would find me on my knees, laying on the ground, in fact, begging God for forgiveness. Not paying off the messenger, but such is his pride. I wonder how often in our lives, um, pride comes before our downfall and our relationships, or even our friendships. Uh, yes? What's, what's the problem, Tim? Well, I think you know why. I'm not sure that I do, actually, but I'm in the middle uh, of a sermon. Uh, last week you made a joke in a sermon, which, by the way, was far too long. And uh, it really offended me. What, what, I don't understand. What joke? Um, anyway, I think I know what you're talking about. There's no way that joke was offensive. I, I think you've probably mis- mistaken me. No, 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 no. no. It really upset me. And to be honest, loads of people here felt the same. I, th- I think you should apologise. Apollo what? Ap- apologise. You really hurt my feelings. OK. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm sorry that you didn't understand the joke that I made. Uh, That's not an apology. OK, OK. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. That's better. I'm sorry that you're unbelievably oversensitive, Tim, and you can't take a simple joke. Oh, man. No, 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 no. no. I'm sorry. Are you? Yes. Are you really? Truly, truly sorry. Good. Because we're friends. Yep. And I'm sorry that you're always around... Sorry that you always criticise me. And actually, I think you owe me an apology. Wow. Look, if you don't see sorry, I'm leaving. And, and that's the end of our friendship. Fine. That's it. I'm off. Our friendship's over. Wait, 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 wait. Tim. Look. I'm sorry. Okay? I really am sorry. Sorry that I ever knew you. I'm sorry you didn't leave sooner. And I'm sorry that you're so unbelievably touchy. And I'm sorry that I wasted my time being your friend. <laughs> he had it coming. Might feel good about myself now. <laughs> that wasn't rehearsed or anything. <laughs> How many relationships have you been in? your friends or your family have been in that have ended just like that? How many times have a relationship broken that you've been involved with? Opportunities lost, all because we refuse to acknowledge our own wrongdoing. We refuse to say the S word, sorry. And in fact, we just let it break because it's just too hard to say it. Swallow your pride this morning before your pride swallows you. Ask for help. It's okay. I know so many people that are struggling, but they will not ask for help. The mask goes on. The I'm fine mask goes on. You're not fine. You're going to break. It's going to hit you at some point. Ask for help. There is no shame in needing someone. I need people. Swallow your pride before your pride swallows you. Admit your mistakes. Say sorry. Make changes before you lose everything. Because pride doesn't lead to success, it leads to a fall, a crash, and a burn. But the message of this chapter isn't just about pride. It's also about um, being humble in an increasingly self-indulgent world. And the call of this chapter is that we must not be like Belshazzar. We must be like Daniel. Daniel, who barely gets a mention in this chapter, is the standout light in chapter 5. This exiled captive, taken from his home, never to return, manages to outlive three powerful rulers. Not by self-promotion or by pushing himself forward, but by faithfully being humble and obeying his real God, the King of Kings. Verse 17 of chapter 5 is a window into Daniel's heart. says then Daniel answered the king, Belshazzar says if you're going to, if you interpret this, this vision I'll give you everything, you become third in command of the entire country, you have a purple robe, the robe of royalty and a gold chain. Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else, nevertheless I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. So we must be in our society that so often praises the self-sufficient and the self-made and the self-centred, we must be humble-hearted. Not down on ourselves, but down on the praise of other people that leads to arrogance. We must prioritise God above us. We must seek the well-being of other people before us. We must be different. People need to hear less about us and hear us asking more about them. How many people have had to endure your stories this week, and you've not let them say a single word? I know people who, they start to talk. This is I'm going off a tangent, a dangerous tangent here. Um, And then there's a pause, and you think, okay, it's my turn to speak now. And I've always made that mistake. So I say, oh yes, well I went there, and clearly they've just pressed pause, and then you stop, and they carry on where they left off because they don't care. They want to talk about them. We must be people that care more for the other person, them, not us. We must be people like Jesus Christ who gave everything up on the cross to become nothing so we could become something. So I challenge all of us, including myself, this week to be humble-hearted, not arrogant or proud, to not feel the need to tell other people of our accomplishments. Let God honour his people. Let God honour us, not ourselves. The kingdoms of this world are coming to an end. Kingdoms of this world are so often like Belshazzar's, built on arrogance and power, and they have a shelf life. If you want to outlast a crumbling world, make God your only passion. Make Jesus your number one, and make humility your DNA. And you will outlast even the most powerful, arrogant ruler, because they will come crashing down at some point. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to lift up everything we've said this morning. Father, it's a real challenge for all of us, Father, because the devil just loves to whisper, oh, no one's taking you seriously, and oh, you did that, that was your idea. Father God, at work, maybe as well, we, when it comes for promotions and, you know, and, and things like that, Father, maybe we feel we've got to push ourselves forward, and well, in one sense, that is exactly how the system works. But Lord, we have to ask ourselves whether the system suits um, children of the light, children of the king of kings. Father God, may we be bold enough to be nothing in the world's eyes because we love you so much. Father God, may we be bold enough that we get looked over because, Lord, we're so busy honouring those around us, loving those around us, serving those around us. Lord, in fact, may we have a heart that wants to be completely and utterly forgotten because we've made your name known and we've lifted up all those people around us. Father God, keep us from the sin of pride. Keep us from the sin of pride, I pray. May we be humble people like your son, Jesus Christ, who died penniless and alone, yet Lord, changed the entire universe. He is our goal. He is our model. He is the one we follow. In his name I pray, amen.